This is a GRDC podcast. Grain growers in Tasmania can average cereal yields of 7 tonnes per hectare, although the top 10% of those growers could even be doubling that tonnage. This is a major outcome the Hyper Yielding Cereals Project wants to see after five years of research, development and extension. Hello, I'm Tony Crowley. Today's podcast will take you to Hagley in northern Tasmania, where the GRDC has invested in a major trial to lift feed wheat and barley yields, as well as improve grain quality and reduce the need for the island state to import cereals. Leading the hyper-yielding cereals R&D team is Nick Poole from Far Australia. This research site, we have a thousand uh, plots, experimental plots, that are dedicated to improving feed grain uh, productivity here in Tasmania um, with that special emphasis not only on picking the right agronomic characteristics such as has it got the right development profile for Tasmania but disease resistance and standing power but equally what's its quality attributes for an end user. And what's really interesting about the name of this project is hyper-yielding cereals. So tell us what we're talking about when we say hyper-yielding. Well, I think that the main aim that uh, GRDC had in bringing this project and investing in this project was actually to look at the fact that we know that Tasmania, being the longest growing season in, in the whole of Australia, has the opportunities to create 10, 12, perhaps even higher, 14 tonne a hectare wheat crops here in Australia, purely as a virtue of that location and that longer growing season. A, a large emphasis of the project has been to improve productivity and yes, profitability, but by looking at saying what germplasm is out there, it might even not be bred in Australia, what germplasm's out there that could improve that yield and help get us that yield potential up from that five tonne base because we know from commercial crops that 12 tonne a hectares are, you know, is, a, is a commercial reality on some farms. So can you take us further in, in answering that question by telling us what germplasm actually is out there? We went to the breeders in Australia and said, what have you got that's probably too long in your breeding programs for the mainland and said what could you give us that you might have rejected and we'll look at it in the hyper yielding project and the breeders came up with lines and supported the project by saying well look here's a line we think might be suitable and at the same time we also went to breeders agents for overseas breeders and looked at what they were bringing into Australia through biosecurity and saying, what have you got that might be a New Zealand background or a European background that might be suitable for Tasmania? What are the main characteristics that, that you're trying to focus on? What we've done is we've looked at trying to work out what are the high yielding varieties when you sow in early April and the Anzac Day sowing window. So we've looked at two sowing windows and said, first of all, 
what's got the right time clock, internal time clock, or phonology as we call it, to develop from those sowing dates. And in our first year, we learnt an awful lot about what was and wasn't suitable um, with regards to those sowing dates. So we've looked at April sowing, challenging the boundaries there, and actually now have uh, some varieties that we refer to as, say, quicker developers that we might put in at the end of April. And then actually, perhaps more Northern European material that's longer season again, that's suitable for those early April sowings. And what difference are you seeing between those two sowing dates? Well, there's, there's, there's a number of factors, and that is that those varieties that perform well in that early sowing window in early April uh, do not necessarily perform well sown at the end of April. In other words, their time clock is so long that unless you get them in very early, they don't have the ability to fulfill their potential. But it's also vice versa, that we have some shorter season winter wheats that have come from the mainland Australian programs. And we can, we can actually make those work with late April sowings, but in early April sowings, they just don't have the right characteristics for us. So it's about trying to work out not only the disease resistance and the lodging um, and their standability, it's about trying to work out what time clock suits what sowing date. What else from a management, crop management point of view, do you have to take into account? Well, clearly one of the things we're interested in is actually the nutrition to achieve such high yields. Uh, we estimated in our first year in 2016 that we were in some of our highest yielding varieties taking out 400 to 450 kilos of nitrogen out of the soil. So nutrition's been a focus for us, but it's quite ironic. We haven't found that applying 400 kilos of nitrogen to the crop has been necessary to generate those yields. So we know that the fertility of our farming system is actually what's supporting uh, those yields in the first place. Now, we have to look at replacing that nutrition, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to put huge amounts of applied fertilizer in fact, our optimums here have rarely been above 200 to 225 kilos of N. I think it's important to recognise that Tasmania, because of its naturally wetter environment, and then superimposed on that, that this is an irrigated environment, means that disease pressure is probably the highest of any point in Australia and lasts for longer than anywhere in Australia. So if we don't have good disease resistance in those candidates that were coming through, we're actually going to be chasing our tail with regards to fungicide inputs. Um, so that disease susceptibility has been a large part of our initial screening. What's actually got some uh, good genetic resistance? 
then from there working out how best to engage our armory of fungicides because we still in this environment couldn't farm without fungicides trying to work out how we engage that armory in the most sustainable way to avoid fungicide resistance but also in the most profitable way so disease management was that next hurdle and the final hurdle has been that you can get varieties that pass both of those tests and then literally fall over which is our last issue of has it got enough standing power to support a 12, 11, 10 tonne a hectare grain yield at the top because if it doesn't then obviously we're not going to improve productivity and the speed of harvest is going to suffer. Because this is a trial situation, you're planting these cereals season after season. Um, ideally, the management would be that there would be a crop rotation taking place. The crop rotations are one of the, the most important differences with Tasmania compared to the mainland, and that is that crop rotations here are much more diverse. There's a huge range of uh, seed crops, vegetable crops, potatoes in uh, Tasmania and that means that where we're growing cereals they tend to be in some cases perhaps even a break crop amongst those other crops and that's valuable to us because we know that as I was saying the fertility of the whole farming system particularly the restorative phase where we might have a pasture phase supporting a livestock um, part of the farm is vitally important to underpin that background fertility to give us these high yields. How transferable is this data for high rainfall zones on the mainland? Where the greatest interest has come from off of the mainland is the high rainfall zone. And although there are major differences between a Western Australian high rainfall zone and a Victorian high rainfall zone, there are some commonalities. Commonalities around, say, disease pressure. Commonalities around making sure that we've got the right material. Is it long season spring wheats? Is it short season winter wheats? That phenology and development is still a relevant question for the high rainfall zone. So some of those aspects are being now looked at in the high rainfall zone, following people coming to hyper yielding and saying, I wonder, would that work here? But it's principally in that zone and principally around disease, germplasm and standing power. And as uh, an example, I suppose you'd say of that, we've now set up uh, the South Australian Crop Technology Centre. And that was inspired by growers and advisors from Southeast South Australia coming down to hyper yielding and saying, why don't we do something like this in our neck of the woods? And last year, they produced some first results from some of the varieties that had done well here at Hyper Yielding. And in 2017, the highest yielding variety on this site 
was the same as the highest yielding variety at Millicent in southeast South Australia. So perhaps there are some examples of some overlap, particularly in these very long season high rainfall zones. And then of course there's the, the end user. So what's the uh, connection for you at this point with the reason why you're needing to increase yields? We know that Tasmania is a net importer of grains and so as a, a, a big picture the project set out with the intention of making us more self-sufficient in grains here in Tasmania and to do that we've got to engage with our end user it's no good us actually producing more unless we're doing more of a quality that our end user wants and so we've had engagement with uh, the different livestock sectors particularly the dairy sector and more recently engagement with aquaculture as to what products they need to actually fulfill their requirements or in this case uh, fish farms and such like and so that's led to a part of the project which isn't about the agronomy it's about the quality of the feed grain we're producing and whether it's the protein or whether it's the starch that that particular sector wants and whether some of these candidates are able to produce that more efficiently uh, than others so this engagement with the end user is again uh, a really important objective of the project. Is there also some economic analysis? Every trial that we've got here all of our inputs are costed. We know what we're yielding out of these experimental plots. Now they're only experimental plots at this stage but what it means is that we can create margins from every single plot that we've got here. So one of the things we're looking at all of the time and this year the the center has broken out all of the inputs much more individually so we'll know exactly what the cost effectiveness of different seeding rates leading to different plant populations different techniques of applying plant growth regulators how much value there was in grazing in terms of a dry matter versus actually did that yield better because it had less disease or was more able to stand. So the, the, the analysis of the results in terms of margin is extremely important to us, particularly that we've ended up with some of these feed grains that actually have some uh, other uses outside of just being a pure feed. They may go into milling. If there's premiums to be applied there, then the work here will pull that out. How conceivable is it that we could have in the near future uh, growers producing commercial crops of high, very high, hyper yielding cereals? Well, in 2016, my New Zealand colleagues were harvesting 17.5 tonnes a hectare in research plots. Here at Hagley, we were harvesting 17.3. We know that there's commercial growers achieving 14 to 16 tonne on a much more regular basis in New Zealand. Therefore, that gives me solace that this is 
a commercial possibility by 2020. Nick Poole from Far Australia. And if you'd like to find out more about the Hyper-Yielding Cereals Project, go to this website, far.org.nz slash far underscore Australia slash research underscore and underscore extension underscore projects. A bit of a mouthful, but that's it. I'm Tony Crowley, and you've been listening to a GRDC podcast. <laughs>